0: We are recording. Uh, let's see. Uh, what? Oh, should we should do the. Uh, uh, so we are. A, well, hold on. Wait. Should we just do a. Like, I'm Rob. Yep.
1: You're Rob. I'm Ryan. Nope. I'm, I'm Steve.
2: I'm Liz. I'm Alexa. I'm <laughs> Jake.
1: All right. That's it.
0: That's the show. Good night, everybody. <laughs>
3: recording in progress.
0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT hey Banter.
4: Banter, banter. Oh, uh, look at that bell. Do you hear that bell? That was the I, correct bell that time. I know. This is very
0: exciting. Uh, Wait, hey, this is, some, this is of course the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today mr ryan flurry back i'm back he's back in black actually i don't know if he's wearing black but i couldn't tell you yeah there you go uh Whoa. and <laughs> uh, and the cowbell of course has made a triumphant return which is clearly we're all very excited about as well <laughs> <It> sounds like <laughs> it indeed yeah i mean we didn't really miss you but we missed the cowbell Of course. Uh, uh hey also here uh mr steve barkley where oh no that's me okay yeah. Uh and Miss Liz Malone. This is uh hello.
3: Hi, and I I'm definitely I'm always wearing black, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those spanks, right? Black spanks, mm-hmm. that's it. Slimming spanks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh yeah, this is uh this is this is something. We I feel like this is the first time all four of us have been together in a podcast for many weeks. It has been a
1: while. Life's getting yeah. in the way.
0: Yeah. Wow. So we heard a rumor, Mr. Flurry, that, uh, that you missed last week's show because uh, you were doing a little something we like to call sitting on the board of directors in a, <laughs> in a, in a meeting uh, for AABC. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that is correct. Yes, I decided I wanted to get more involved in the blind, partially sighted, deaf-blind community. And so somebody nominated me to be treasurer on the board and I went, hell no. And then it came around to a second round of nominations because there was an empty director seat because somebody had to step down and somebody else nominated me to be director and I thought, well, I can't really say no twice. So here I am. I've got two years as a director on the board of the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians.
3: You hear wow. that? Just ask Ryan twice for anything and he'll say yes.
4: I, <laughs> I did hear that. Yeah. yeah. I know. I can't, no, can't say no twice in a row. That's it. I know. That like, was oh.
3: my, I, is oh. that, I'm sorry, Ryan. That was my takeaway. That's know. what you totally pathetic.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. All right. Well, I'm just writing down a note here to ask
1: Ryan for 20 ask bucks Ryan
2: twice. Alex is
1: like, ask Ryan twice to buy a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Ryan,
2: will you buy a (laughs) t-shirt?
1: No.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. See, just, yeah, give give him half an hour to forget that he said that. And then you got to ask me a second time. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Uh, Well, okay. All right. Enough silliness. Uh, Let's get to it because we've already, we've already uh, sort of hinted at this now. So, hey, Ryan, now that you're back, uh, why don't you tell people uh, just
1: what the heck we are doing today? Sure, we're excited to have with us the founders of iDesign, which is a fashion company here in Canada, and with us are Alexa and Jake, the founders of iDesign. Welcome everyone.
2: Hi, good Hello. to be here.
1: Glad you could join us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We are actually we
0: it's funny. We are actually really excited about today's show, even though we are not Fashionistas, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but we've actually been talking a lot uh, about uh, fashion and adaptive fashion, and so um, I really feel like this is a this is a growing field, and I'm excited to to get your guys' take on it and sort of uh, learn a little bit about your company. So why don't we start out by just giving us a little bit of background about about each of you, and then just a little bit of uh, just a little bit of um, background about the the company.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start first. Uh, My name is Alexa, and I'm the one who first started the company. And it actually originated as a research project when I was studying fashion at university in Toronto uh, at Ryerson, now known as TMU. And really early on in school, we kind of just learned that diversity, inclusion, and equality, they weren't really dominant aspects of the fashion industry nobody was really working towards it it was kind of just there and so I knew that by the time I was in my fourth year of school I really wanted to focus on that and being able to work with the disability community and in the end that ended up being the visually impaired community and it was a result of putting braille on clothing to create a beautiful message it was all through beadwork and a few years later evolved into being an actual business there was just such demand and positivity around it so That's kind of where it all happened for me. I didn't previously know anyone who was visually impaired. I just really loved fashion, really loved Braille and found a way to combine them all to create more inclusivity in the world.
1: Wow. Nice.
5: Still impresses me every time I hear it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get involved, Jake?
5: Yeah, so uh, my name's Jake and um, I got involved partially by uh, really falling in love with Alexa over the course (laughs) of this process um she had started this as a research project and she says um before we met but on our very first date she was telling me about her work on this and i remember having a moment of kind of you know well don't screw this up um, <laughs> i realized how impressive it was what she was working on um so you know I, i've been invo- around and involved for a while um and i myself have a background in, in business and finance um and some analytics work so as this was starting to go from research project into the demand for a business. Um, that's when I started getting involved was helping take this and actually turn it into a business, getting the business account set up, helping to do the finance work, inventory ordering. Um, so we've kind of developed this partnership and this relationship now where Alex is very much the design side of this and I'm very much the kind of business and logistical side of, of the company. Um, so we've been working on this together now since Really, um, the business started in early 2020, Um, so it's been a little over two years now of uh, you know a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, grinding pretty hard. But um, here we are today, and it's doing well, and continuing to do well, and hopefully stays doing well. So,
2: yeah, and uh, in just the past uh, few months, we actually both uh, decided to leave our full time jobs to pursue eye design. So now Braille Fashion has not only started as the research project, but it's evolved into our livelihood, and honestly, couldn't imagine doing anything else.
1: And Alexa, are you visually impaired?
2: I myself am not. Um, So to this day, I can now say that almost all of my closest friends do have visual impairments, but I myself didn't actually know anybody prior to starting the project. It was really just learning about the lack of inclusion in the industry and wanting to get to know more people from the community to learn about what we could change and what challenges were already kind of being faced.
1: Yeah, the reason I ask is because earlier today, I listened to an interview you did with, I think, Breakfast TV or or one of the outlets anyway. And you were saying you were in a mall or a store looking at a beaded piece of clothing. And that's when you kind of put braille and fashion together. And so it's like, where did you find out? Like, how did you even know what braille was if you didn't have any involvement with that community?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I went to school for fashion, but I've always loved design of all sorts. And so while I know Braille is a code, I first sort of thought of it as the design of a code. And I thought it was so fascinating that you could read through touch. Uh, Going to school for fashion communication specifically, Braille as a communication tool sort of just lent itself naturally. So I've always just been really fascinated by the visual aspect of Braille with this combination of dots, but the idea that you can actually successfully read and read quickly through touch. So it's always just been something I thought was really cool. And I've always loved beaded clothing, so like you sort of started to mention, I was window shopping, kind of looking for inspiration for my fourth year capstone project. I knew I wanted to work with the disabled community, but wasn't exactly sure in what capacity or what that would look like, and came across a super cool beaded jacket, stopped for a second, kind of asked myself why this beaded jacket couldn't be cool beyond its aesthetic values, and sort of just thought about how similar the size of beads and braille are and (laughs) kind of questioned, well, what if we rearranged all of these beads slightly to create messages that were fully legible, that were braille, that could describe the outfit or empower the individual who's reading it, provide increased uh, independence, or even for those who don't read braille, be more of an advocacy element and be used as an opportunity to build awareness about disability
4: so I'm, I'm on your uh, on your website, and uh, you have uh, pre-orders available for the blue dress I note, which has an <laughs> awful lot of braille on the front, quite a bit of reading, and if you're going to read that whole thing, you're getting to know that person pretty well at) <laughs> <laughs>
2: funny you bring that up so yeah that piece uh, is one of the closest to my heart that was uh, several years uh, in the making and it has over 2600 beads but to your point with getting to know everyone that braille beadwork is in multiple paragraphs down the complete front of a long dress so it starts uh, at about at about the neck, chest, and goes to about the ankle. But for that case, a lot of our braille, when it's meant to be read, it's more of a personal thing. It's, it's read before the wearer is wearing it. And then a little ironically, it becomes more of a visual statement when it's actually being worn on someone, visual to the rest of the world. But I mean, if you consent to it, all the power to you to having someone read it to you while wearing it. But (laughs) in most cases, nobody should just go up and touch you anyway. So that's that's pretty true. Do
4: do you want to talk a little bit about the the messaging that is on the blue dress? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. I I was just reading about it. I think it's really neat.
2: Thank you. So with that piece in particular, I worked really closely with ten blind women, and the premise was that all of the braille on that dress actually describes the color blue from the perspective of those 10 women. So this dress that we created, it's a really beautiful, striking blue color, and it describes the different memories, feelings, and thoughts that those 10 women associate with the color, despite not actually seeing its visual beauty. So really going through the different um, kind of assets and thoughts that blindness is a spectrum, and every woman lost her vision at a different stage and some have more remaining vision than others. So, you know, the experience of someone who lost their vision, maybe at the age of two or three, just looking up at the sky and identifying that as blue to someone in their later life recognizing that their mother or son's eyes were blue, but they would never really see them to grow older, et cetera. So really, really interesting, the diversity of stories that we had. So that was kind of a transcript from some really intimate interviews that we did.
0: Yeah. What really impresses me about all of this is just how you guys have really been able to take something like fashion and you've, you've sort of, been able to build something that's functional, but also a little bit of an advocacy piece, a little bit of an educational piece, and something that's also very fashionable in and of itself. And I think that that's, that, that's a lot like that. That's, that's actually really impressive to be able to do. We're talking about so much more than just, you know, putting Braille like beads on a t-shirt, you know, and and having it spell out something in Braille. You, you guys are, are really sort of taking it to another level. I guess my question is, has that, what has that process been like, and have you engaged with members of say the, the blindness community to sort of help you build this out?
5: Yeah. So, um, Jake, I'm going to hop in on this one. Um, you know, I, I, I like that you call that out and that's something that we've actually taken very consciously from the beginning is that as we've gone to build up this, this brand and, and our products is we want them to be something that is is useful um, and empowering to the blind and visually impaired community, but isn't restricted to that community. Um, because really the way to, to bridge the gap with fashion uh, between you know fully sighted or fully abled communities and those that aren't is to make a product or a brand that fills the needs and the desires of both. You know we really wanted to kind of bridge that gap, open up lines of communication. So all the products, while they're designed to be warned by anyone, um, you know do cater to both audiences. Um, and then to your, to your question about, you know, involvement of the blind and visually impaired community, even though some of these products, you know, we, we market them and we try to sell them to those who don't, aren't visually impaired. Um, we do want to make sure first and foremost, um, especially our Braille application is always legible, um, because that is really one of the core, um, parts of the company. So we very heavily use a a co-design process, which is something Alexa started and she's been doing for since before I was involved but we really always make sure to involve the community and test our products with them as we're developing them. Um, and this is, goes from the design of the products, you know, we'll talk about um, you know, what types of phrases are important, all the way up to the blue dress and the interviews that went into those, um, but also to make sure as we were you know going through different application styles for the beads, which we're pretty consistent with now, but that went through several levels of progression and testing and R and D is always making sure that we got feedback on the placement of the beads, how sturdy the beads are, uh, making sure that they were legible, um, and also, you know, making a product where these beads are meant to hold through the wash and last a long lifetime. So, you know, while while we push this product to a larger audience, we do make sure that the um, the blind and visually impaired community is involved in the design of those products.
0: So, can you talk to me a little bit about about the actual the process of the beading? How much sort of work does that add on to um, making something like a t shirt or a dress? Um, and sort of how, how do you balance that? And is that been a process that's gotten better and more refined the more that you do it?
2: Let's see here. That has definitely gotten more better and refined since we started. When I uh, first started the um, project in my dorm room, I remember I would hand sew every individual bead with a needle and thread I think maybe it would take me like an hour to write just three characters. So by no means was that efficient or effective. And thankfully, that method of Braille application wasn't the most legible. So we've been able to since improve our techniques and the most uh, legible aspect actually ended up being the quickest to apply. But I'll let Jake kind of explain that process a little.
5: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely progressed. And, you know, as we've had our orders pick up, we've had to learn to progress with them, to, to keep up with everything. Because like Alexa said in the very beginning, hand sewing each bead was not sustainable and wasn't gonna last, but it was very important for us in learning you know, what we needed to, to focus on, especially as we were looking into the legibility of the braille. Um, so you know, what, what it kind of turned into is eventually we found a, a type of bead um, that would work well, um, but we were still kind of hand placing each individual bead. Um, so wasn't sewing anymore. Now we use like a heat process. We involve a you know special type of glue, um, but we were, Alexa was still a lot of the times hand placing each bead and we're moving them over. Now we've gotten up to the point where we're able to do effectively like a stencil, um, kind of a, a pre outline of what the braille beading needs to be, and we're able to then um, push the beads into this stencil and they all kind of fall into the exact place that they need to be. Um, and what that allows us to do is to really ramp up the speed at which we can do things. So for example, with some of our t-shirts that we sell that all have, you know, some of our preset phrases, we can make the the phrases for, you know, 10 t-shirts at a time, um, which allows us to kind of increase that. But that also transfers over to the blue dress where we have multiple paragraphs down the front is we can make about a whole paragraph at a time. Um, So that blue dress, even those 2,600 beads, we probably applied that in about eight to nine chunks of preset beads that we kind of put in their place through a stencil that we, we make custom ourselves. Um, so we're able to really increase that up and do a lot more. And it's been a one hell of an evolution, but um, there's still a ways to go, but I'm pretty happy with where we're at, at the moment with our, our current demand and our current process.
2: Yeah, and the reason that uh, this new process even came to place, uh, we got a phone call from the American Foundation for the Blind they were getting ready to celebrate their 100 centennial anniversary and they were looking to do a um, fundraising effort with all of their donors and they contracted us to create 1000 custom braille hats for them and so we got the phone call said yes immediately hung up and said oh no how are we going to do this we're hand placing every bead So, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity and really forced us to learn how to better align ourselves and make sure that we could maintain our high quality, but do it a little bit more efficiently. So it's really amazing. And now we've learned that we can take on bulk order. So a lot has happened since that first dorm room night. So
3: who are you guys working with for your Braille transcription, especially for something like as elaborate as the blue dress, where you said there are uh, multiple paragraphs of of, of braille content because with braille, like you said, it's, it is a code and it doesn't always just transfer, you know, letter to symbol, especially with phrasings. So I was just curious, like what you guys do for, for that type of um, research.
2: That's a great point. And so one thing I want to start with that is saying that all of the braille beadwork that we currently apply is all uncontracted. So it's much easier to do that direction. Um, translation, making sure that there aren't any sort of errors with contractions, knowing that everyone can kind of read Braille differently. But what we do make sure to do with all of our Braille pieces is work with the community to get someone to sort of review what the Braille is or ensure the legibility, make sure that everything is there so nothing's going out spelt incorrectly. But so happy that you brought that up. And we have received some requests for contracted pieces. And when it comes to that, we'll likely end up uh, contracting those pieces out to make sure that we can involve even more community members and uh, those who are working to uh, become transcribers.
3: I mean, looking at your designs, it actually reminds me of large print braille. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So
3: so for um for for some of us, I'm one of them, who whose fingertips just seem to be dead. I have like corpse fingers. <laughs> Normal sized braille, I cannot feel it to save my life. And they actually have these braille books when you learn and it'll it'll make the dots really big so that you can you can you can feel them. And when I was looking at some of your designs, I was like, oh, that really just that is exactly what it reminds you of. it looks like large print braille.
2: Wow. I would be really curious um to get your feedback on the legibility of our braille because um, what we've tried to do was replicate the size of regular printed braille as much as possible. So I believe we're at about, two to three millimeters per bead size um, for their full width. And we've been told that that was the easiest sort of direct relation to that regular printed size. So I'm curious um, how your finger would sort of pick that up or if an even bigger size would be uh, preferred for you.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's just an interesting concept of the large print braille because of those who just can't feel it very well. But also sometimes when... People go to school and they study to um, become like rehab teachers and and um, work with the the blind and low vision and they're learning braille. Sometimes they learn it by seeing it, and they'll have these workbooks where it's it's a very visual thing where they're learning it by seeing the dots and and uh, and then obviously when they take the test, like nope, you can't look at it. You have to actually be able to read it with your fingers. But it is that interesting large print sort of concept that that that's the first thing I thought of I was like wow it looks like large print braille to me but I don't know the exact size I don't know Steve if you happen to know what the actual size of the large print dots would be considered
2: I don't remember off the top of my head but I'm very curious and we will definitely check right after this podcast
3: I think they have to send me some free merchandise for me to try it out right I'm getting that sick <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> Ask us it twice.
3: It's for <laughs> research, not for fight.
1: Well done. Well done. <laughs> see Liz, you just got you got to cut out
0: the middleman you gotta you ask ryan to buy you some merch twice
3: ryan 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 secretly wants to buy me the blue dress
1: i thought this podcast was brought to you by canadian assistive technology (laughs) (laughs)
3: steve secretly wants to buy me the blue dress
1: (laughs) right
0: so how challenging is it for you, because, you know, you, you went to school for fashion. You, you've clearly, you've had a, a a real passion for fashion all your life. So do you find yourself sort of having to wear different hats in terms of when you're designing, like, because you're, you're kind of, you're, you're approaching these things from, from different angles. You've got the fashion angle, but then you've also got functionality and you've got, um, you know, accessibility you know, adaptive clothing. So do you you have trouble sort of balancing all those or does it sort of just kind of come naturally when you're designing?
2: That's a great question. So had you asked me this right when I was starting university, I probably would have said, yes, fashion meant something completely different for me. but once I started learning more about the industry and how inclusive design wasn't really being prioritized within fashion, my entire love and appreciation for fashion shifted in a completely different way. So now I look at everything almost with an accessibility mindset first and look to see how can we make this both accessible but aesthetically pleasing. And my latest passion has really been in finding the marriage between those two. So for example, with a blue dress that we created, While the braille beadwork that describes the color blue is the focal point of that piece, the accessibility goes far beyond the braille. So we made sure to use a beautiful blue fabric that actually doesn't wrinkle. So accessibility wise, that being able to steam it or iron it is one less thing you don't have to worry about. That's a bonus for if you're sighted or if you're visually impaired. We made sure that there was a slit in the dress, so it doesn't go too high, but it really increases that walkability. So if you do have a white cane in hand or a guide dog, and at any given point, you might be taking a longer stride, you don't have any limitations in your garment. It's really easy to move around in, and there's a long zipper pull in the back. So it's much easier to pull the dress on and off on your own because it's a lot easier to be able to reach that pull but the accessible uh, feature that I'm actually most excited about is that we've started to incorporate washable QR codes into all of our pieces. And so with those, you can actually use your camera phone, scan the QR code, which is the full size of that garment tag, and it'll bring you to an accessible webpage that gives you a full physical description of the garment. It'll give you a transcript of all the braille beadwork give you the laundering instructions, the wash, all of that. But then furthermore, we'll even give you some styling suggestions depending on the different occasion that you're going to. So those are all features that take accessibility one step further. But like Jake and I were sort of talking about earlier, making sure that they're all accessible features that can be worn and appreciated by anyone, no matter if you have a disability or not. So that's kind of where it's all come together for us.
1: Well, it's interesting. You said you're taking it one step further because, you know, we've seen in the last year and you mentioned it again in one of your interviews you did that Nike, Tommy Hilfiger and other mainstream fashion designers are acknowledging the fact that there's a missing market there that they haven't taken advantage of and are coming out with adaptive clothing lines.
2: We're so excited to see that, and one of our main goals really is to bring inclusive fashion to the mainstream, and that's really why we're making sure that we're designing a product that, yes, is accessible and targeted to the blind and visually impaired community and disability community as a whole, but really can be something that's worn by everyone and appreciated by everyone, so that way it doesn't become a siloed group, that it doesn't become fashion just for the disabled, because it really is important to bring it into that mainstream element to begin to normalize it and really be able to bring about that advocacy and awareness.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that, because that was kind of my thought too, when, when I was uh, researching for the show, um, you know, fashion, fashion has really been sort of siloed. Um, but we, when you really think about it, uh, fashion at its essence is, is so important for people. I mean, listen, um, you know, most of us wear clothing, you know, 99% of our day. Uh, you know, unless you're Ryan in which he's not wearing pants now, but, but, uh but, Mm -hmm. but no, but seriously, uh, you know, we, we, we use it for, for so many things. It's, it's functional, but it's also a part of our self-expression. It's how we, we exude self-confidence and build self-esteem. It, it really is an important aspect of, of our lives. And so it, it is really important to sort of start to build all of these, these aspects into just mainstream fashion, and I, I think that it's it's incredibly important what you guys are doing because you're kind of setting the template for a, a lot of other companies out there that I think are slowly beginning to realize this. I mean, fashion needs to be uh, they, they need to at the design level, and we say this all the time when we're talking about assistive technology or we're talking about um, accessibility. Um, it, you know, it's, it's at that design level that we need to roll in these ideas of um, ad- adaptation or, um, you know, functionality and, and all of these important things so that we can make clothing that's going to appeal to people, you know, who are able-bodied as a, and people who, um, you know, with disabilities. It's, it's, it's what well, we want to build something that's going to be for everybody and that's going to benefit everybody.
2: Absolutely. And I love the way you said it. Accessibility cannot be an afterthought. And any product or service that you think of that did actually go through a co-design process or include a diverse group of individuals, including those with disabilities in the design phase, you notice immediately that their product or service is far superior. Because so many times when you've thought of the needs of others, those will sometimes just make the product or service easier to use. They end up benefiting those that didn't even necessarily know that they were going to have that challenge in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, and you can, we can point to so many examples of, of things that, you know, we use all the time that was, that were actually designed for, for, you know, some sort of a, a disability community, um, everything from subtitles on movies to, you know, text messages. So, um, it to audio description for that matter, which is something that, something new, again, that's, that's a growing field. Um, so let me ask you this, because this is something that I kind of was mulling over while you were sort of talking about texture. The idea of sort of like designing something as a, like sort of a tactile garment, you know, combining different, just in the way that that fashion, you're combining colors and patterns in certain combinations to make it you know, visually pleasing. Is it a thing to sort of combine different textures and patterns of those textures so that it sort of produces a, a really unique tactile experience?
2: Absolutely. Visually impaired or not, combining different textures, even in the same color, immediately adds so much extra character and sophistication to an outfit. I've always been a fan, but ever since working more closely with this particular community, it's such a bigger difference. So I know in even one of the uh, first prototypes that we made, you may be familiar with it. It seems to be a crowd favorite, but it's an oversized denim jacket and it has several stripes on the back, all filled with different amounts of braille beadwork. But on that, every stripe that we added there has a different texture. So as you're brushing your hands back along the back of the jacket, you can actually tell once you've reached every every stripe, which ends up being a section of information. So that change in texture ends up being both aesthetically pleasing, but also completely functional in determining the information you're looking for. We have the smooth fabric on the blue dress, which doesn't wrinkle, but is also really cool to touch. Our t-shirts, first thing customers often say is that this is the softest t-shirt that they own. And then we have our embroidered logo in the corner. So every time we can add an additional sort of textural feature that'll add to the experience, we do. Like we add an embossed version of our logo on all of our printed materials, so that way everyone can experience the brand, even if that's just feeling what our logo and branding actually is. So I'm uh,
3: I'm gonna ask um one of the toughies and okay. and I, I'm listen I I love to play devil's advocate so and you are not the 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 first guest that we've had that um, are in the able-bodied or as we've said on the show the tabs temporarily able-bodied and are doing you know very meaningful things that improve the lives of those in other communities so I want to preface it with that but I do want to ask you how are you straddling that line where you might be challenged with whether or not what you're
2: doing is more
3: appropriation than appreciation
2: so I very much appreciate this question and I really like the way that you prefaced it. We at no point want to be appropriating anyone or anything. And that's why the co-design process is so important to us. There's nothing that we do at the company at any stage that doesn't include the community. So Jake was mentioning earlier with the actual braille legibility, the choice of phrases and placements, that goes all the way to the brainstorming of our designs, but actually the photography and the modeling and the writing. So Every month we release a blog that's written by someone from the visually impaired community or an ally talking about their experiences. So we make sure that we provide a platform in every aspect. We provide an avenue for modeling. In some of our photo shoots, uh, those that were um, one of them in particular with TO last October, our photographer actually identified as having a disability. So whenever possible, we're all about building awareness about the community as a whole. It's never supposed to be about us or myself as the main designer, but really always as a community brand and really making sure that we emphasize that. And the co-design process has been the main way in which we've been able to achieve that. But I am happy that you brought this up. And
3: I think it's a really important question to ask. And I think that what you said is, is a fantastic answer because I think on the surface, and you hear about something like this, and you don't know the inner workings, and you don't know all of your motivations and the things that you guys are doing uh, with it with your company. It uh, very quickly you might think, oh gosh, they're they're taking our form of communication and they're making it into this, uh, you, you know, this showpiece, and isn't this cute for you know sighted people to wear? And now they they love blind people or something like that. So, but I it, it's very obvious that what you're doing goes a lot deeper, and I think it's just important to to make people aware of that.
5: Yeah, thank you. And just to note on that too, you know, cause like like, Alexa said, we really making it a point to to try and show that we are not, you know, trying to come in here and take this, but we're trying to work with the community. And I think what's been kind of, you know, reassuring to us that we've been approaching this properly is that we've had outreach kind of organic to us from organizations of the blind and visually impaired uh, more than we have had for say like, for profit or private organizations. We've actually done a lot more work with groups like um, the American Foundation for the Blind. We've done some stuff with the uh, Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And I think a lot of that is because we've taken such a point to involve the community and to make sure that we're designing for and with the community um, that we're starting to see support from these types of organizations. So that's you know reassured us that we're on the right path and has opened up our ability to then work with those organizations and access you know people who are involved with those groups to further do our co-design process and to, you know, have involvement as we move forward.
3: I mean, I'm, I'm all for this. I'm ready to jump on board and get my own custom-made shirt. (laughs) I wanted to say in Braille, stop staring at my chest.
2: (laughs) We can do that.
0: (laughs) Love it. Okay. So, okay, here's a question for you. So this is just, this is a very general sort of just industry question. So, Because it seems to me that that fashion, the fashion industry has gotten a lot better in recent years about sort of linking fashion and social change or or social good um, much more than previous decades. So has in your experience over the past few years, is the fashion industry sort of um uh, making some some strides in terms of becoming more involved in social change from your perspective
2: I would say changes have definitely been made is there room for more changes absolutely there always will be and i think there's been change but not necessarily as much change as there should be specifically in the area of disability inclusion Fashion has definitely gotten better with social change in forms of other diversity from gender, race, age, uh, sexual orientation, but, and size inclusivity as always, but when it comes to disability in fashion, it almost seems like disability remains one of the factors that is constantly excluded from that conversation there've definitely been improvements, but like I was saying, I think there's far more that can be done. But with your point about social change, I think a lot of companies now are understanding that they can't just be a clothing brand. They do have to have a much stronger mission and value set behind what it is that they're doing. So completely agree with what you're saying.
0: So it seems to me that that more and more um, clothing manufacturers are taking some of this into account.
3: I, I think, though, that in the fashion industry, just as a consumer, not someone who works in the industry in any, in any way, I think that companies are saying, sure, we will, we're will. we open to whoever wants to wear our stuff, but we're not changing our stuff so that other people can wear it. And that's where the disconnect is. Mm, yeah. That's
0: a good point. It's a good point, yeah. Man, see, we brought Liz on for a reason.
3: <laughs> Let me just tell you, Alexa, these guys—they think chaps are accessible. <laughs> oh my God, can... well, that's they the are. idea of accessibility. Technically,
0: <laughs> it's the, whole, it's the whole appeal of them. Wait, wait a second,
4: chaps. You mean there's alternatives other than sweats?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so in your experience, then, when you were going to school, Alexa. Um, mm-hmm. So you mentioned that really like the idea of inclusion, accessibility, adaptive clothing was, was a fairly new concept and wasn't really being discussed at all. Do you get the feeling now that that has changed?
2: Definitely has changed. Um, So I went to Ryerson university now known as TMU. And when I started school back in, uh, uh, what was it? 2012, 2013, Um, My particular program coincided with when Dr. Ben Barry joined our faculty, and he is now the Dean of Fashion at Parsons in New York City. So he's the person that really taught me about the importance of diversity and inclusion. So he has really kind of taken that value set with him everywhere that he's gone Uh, in terms of education, and being at such a prominent fashion school like Parsons is really starting to mold that concept there as well. Um, He was my advisor in school. And that's really what led me to kind of pushing myself as far as possible in bringing inclusivity to fashion in the lens that I was sort of taught. And now you kind of see it as maybe there are programs that Study specifically on inclusion, or you see an increase in inclusive design programs, or like we were even just saying the fashion industry as a whole, seems to sort of take it on a little bit more, but to what Liz was mentioning, unless you're actually changing things at the root what change is there really? You can't just say, oh, we want all customers now, but we're not gonna design things for those customers. So bringing it back to that education level in the universities, I think is the most important element for change truly to take place. And he's been a phenomenal um, proponent to doing that. And to add on to that a little bit further, Uh, 2015-2016 is when I first started this braille fashion research project and I'll never forget the types of responses I was getting from my fashion peers I'd be like oh I'm doing like this braille fashion thing I'm working with local individuals who are visually impaired and learning about challenges from deciding what to wear and organizing closets and if fashion trends matter and stigmas related to uh Uh, visual impairment in fashion and a lot of them would respond saying oh like that's cool but why or if you're visually impaired why do you care what you look like so those types of comments then really fueled me to continue my research and evolve it into something more but I think those types of comments it's going to be far less likely to hear those words uh, coming from someone today or at least coming from a fashion student specifically that was my experience with it
0: this is good news. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Uh,
4: who, who was the, um, who, who were the people that we interviewed previously about uh, their, their clothing for people in wheelchairs?
0: Uh, that was Izzy Camilleri.
4: Izzy Camilleri. Camilleri.
2: Yeah. yeah. Also- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause
4: that, that, the thing that uh, you guys should be talking and and maybe are.
2: So we haven't officially met. I would love to meet Izzy. She's phenomenal. Our paths have crossed a few different times. We're actually going to be at the same event uh, in two nights from now. So hoping to officially meet her then. But she is such a trailblazer in the adaptive clothing space. And uh, I'm just so honored to kind of be following in her steps in some ways. She's doing amazing work.
4: Yeah, she absolutely is. and And I can see I can see a crossover episode here.
2: Oh, <laughs> <which> is- <laughs> yeah, we both uh, had our inclusive masks on display at the ROM. Uh, they did a uh, an exhibit all about masks for the pandemic, and our two masks were the only two in the exhibit that featured disability inclusion. So that was a really huge honor to be there alongside her.
0: Amazing. Well, listen, you guys uh, are doing incredible work, and you guys are really, uh, I feel like, blazing some trails as well. Um, so I'm personally really excited to see where you guys take this. I mean, you guys are only, it's, you know, 2020 it's two years, uh, and it sounds like things are going gangbusters already. So, uh, I foresee, uh, big things for you. I mean, it, clearly you've already got a t-shirt sale from Liz or well <laughs> through via Ryan. And, and a blue <laughs> dress from Steve that's for right,
2: Liss. <laughs>
4: No, I'm waiting for the little black dress. Oh. There you go.
2: Now yeah, mm. we can take custom orders too. We'll get on that.
4: <laughs> oh, interesting.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Black's like... more my color, but <laughs>
0: all right. Can you bead bead chaps? I don't know. Can you put <laughs> beads on chaps?
2: We trying... accept the challenge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, listen, uh, it's been an absolute delight uh talking to you guys. Um If people want more information, uh, about, uh, the company or or to reach out to you guys, uh, where can people find you online?
5: Yeah. So, I mean, we're, um, doing our best to be accessible as possible. So we have a website, which is iDesign.com. Um, we have an Instagram page, which Alexa is very active on, which the tag for that or the handle is at iDesign. Um, you can also, you can email us directly if you'd like, which is hello at iDesign.com. And um, brand new to it. We just started it this week, but uh, we officially have a TikTok channel now, oh, well, dear. which we're gonna be looking to, to grow and expand, uh, which is also at iDesign.
2: And iDesign is spelled A-I-L-L-E, and then the word design, D-E-S-I-G-N.
5: Well,
0: listen, best of luck to you guys. Uh, I, I love it. I'm loving what you do. And uh, please come back anytime and uh, and we can talk more about this stuff as, as you guys roll out some more stuff.
2: Thank you so much. This was amazing. I absolutely love this crew. There's so many laughs during this conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Open invitation to come back anytime. Thank you so Thank much. So much. This was great. Take we'll care, guys. Soon. You bet. Okay,
2: Bye-bye. guys,
0: take care. Thanks, Bye. guys. Yeah. Bye. Uh, uh, okay, we need AT banter t-shirts that have AT banter in braille. Why is it that every guest that we have, we
4: need new uh, uh, promotional items? I, I don't <laughs> new know. New I swag. guess. We need, When's the last time think, we had
0: any?
3: We need. I, yeah, I've, we need. I've, we I've, just I've still need... got a
4: drawer full of cowbells.
0: I mean, that's true. We need to get rid of those cowbells. <laughs> well, they came in handy while Ryan was gone. <laughs>
3: Holding off still for the AT Banter hockey jerseys yeah. because oh, guess what, yeah. Rob? Hockey what? season.
4: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know what? I, I actually have looked into that list because uh, I, I did some uh, previously for, for Rob and Ryan, and uh, they have gotten stupidly expensive. Oh, like just all of a sudden they, they, the price has shot up. So it's very really? kind of strange. Yeah. yeah. See,
1: Where hockey are jerseys are
3: all the rage.
1: Well, just yeah. for you, Liz and Steve, we do have a hockey episode coming up soon. Oh, oh yeah,
4: yeah, I saw that. We have yeah. one of the Demontis boys on. We do. I, is nice. that a, what?
0: What is that? The whole,
4: hockey? They're uh, yeah, they're into their uh, blind hockey in a big bad way. Oh, I see. Okay, well, blind hockey. Forces of nature. These boys.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, you guys are in charge of that show. That's right. I, I, what am I going to talk to him? About? I'll just embarrass everybody by oh, asking about...
3: sports. Yeah, that's
1: right.
4: <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, Liz, if you want to uh, familiarize yourself more with hockey and with Canadian culture in general, highly recommend looking up a show called Letter Kenny and a spinoff from it called Shore Z. If nothing else, you will learn some of the most, you, most horrendous you mama jokes that you've ever heard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's classic Canadian entertainment, Liz.
3: Oh. You guys like our... are classic Canadian entertainment.
0: Well, this is true.
1: Impressions. What's what's everyone think about this? I think it's great. There's another option now in the community for for accessible fashion. I I really do think their attitude though is
0: something new. Like I don't think I, I the way that they're they're combining all of these things together, like the functionality and the self-expression and and just the the fashion elements, the visual element, I don't think anybody else is is doing anything like this
4: they They've done from from the work that I've seen on their website, um, they have done a really beautiful job of um, making the braille beautiful. Yeah, um, exactly and uh regardless of whether somebody understands even if they don't understand it's braille it's still this really cool pattern Mm. that they're looking at and uh the way that they've produced the braille it stands out very nicely against the fabric so it's very very visual uh in addition to being bumpy and you know as i as i mentioned before you'd have to be friends with whoever was uh, reading you i guess but um but that's not going to be your typical interaction i don't think
3: yeah, I don't I don't know if they are at this stage and they're they're a young company. I think that I think that there is Two years. they have so much time to do amazing things. but I would say that they're on their way to becoming an accessible fashion company, but yeah. I would classify them now as being a clothing company that celebrates accessibility. yeah,
0: yeah that's yeah. a really
4: good point. It's good definition.
3: which I yeah. still think is extremely important. Um, but I yep. think that they're doing things that are getting them into that accessible fashion arena for sure, but they definitely, they very clearly celebrate it.
0: Yes. And I think that that's the big difference. Um, it this isn't something like, oh, this is just, you know, again, accessibility is just an add on. They are like looking at it at that, you know, original development stage and building this stuff in and. Yeah, I think that there's a huge difference between making something that's functional that you know has some braille lettering on it so you can tell what color your T-shirt is, uh, to again like celebrating things and and making it their own and allowing people to to make it their own. It's this beautiful combination of of functionality and advocacy and self-expression and fashion that I I just I don't no one else is doing. So I, I'm, I'm really excited to see where they go in the future. And, uh, yeah, I have a feeling in two years, uh, they'll be so successful that when we ask them to come on, they'll just ignore us.
3: At banter, who?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Wait, what? Well, we didn't offer you a blue dress. We're what are
1: gonna, you talking about? We're going to be here in two years. <laughs> Another Am two I gonna years? fit into a dress in two years? <laughs> 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 that's true too. Unless
4: you're gonna fit into a smaller dress in two years. Yeah, Not actually, that's true. I love
3: that.
0: How
4: how goes the uh, new meal plan and stuff?
3: Um, I'm yeah. It's still it's still on. <laughs>
4: <laughs> are you are you seeing any gains? Are you are you happy with it, or, or are you just miserable? Yeah, you feeling better?
3: No, the, mis- the I think the misery window is gone good you know yeah but it's um I, I, yeah I'm definitely very I'm shrinking slowly because I'm well, not star- I'm not starving myself but I think because I'm I I'm, I'm not getting any processed sugar
4: yeah you, yeah, you don't, don't do want to you don't want to shrink fast that's a problem
3: yeah you, but there it's a it's a it's a it's a slow burn it's a slow yeah. shrink but <laughs> I think if you yeah
4: exactly, that's exactly the healthiest way to do it. It's just take it gradual. Don't do any mass. I have a buddy who he does these, these massive cleanses and he will, he will go on like a, a lemonade cleanse. He's doing nothing but drinking this, this lemonade concoction. And he'll do that for like two weeks and he'll shed like 40 pounds. But every time he's done this and he's, I've seen him do it about four times now. He just, pounds it right back on again it just over the next year to two yeah no it's not it's it's a pretty it's a pretty uh harsh thing to put your body through um so yeah no i think you're i think you got the right approach slow and steady wins the race as they say you know
3: yeah no the whole not eating not being able to eat dairy it has just eliminated so much from my diet
4: oh I, i'm i'm out on this diet then that's if yeah. i can't have, if i can't have cheese that's it's just yeah. a deal breaker right there yeah yeah, yeah so
3: there it's yeah. but it's it's it, eating out is very challenging yeah. it's a little more challenging than i thought it was going to be um there's a lot of restaurants <laughs> they're like uh they're like i don't know if we can make this without butter i'm like you don't have any oil back there olive oil really okay mm-hmm. i'm like so you're admitting to me now you make this in bulk it's not this none of this is uh i said okay
4: (laughs) well a lot of stuff is prepped in bulk right and then finished finished for the for the meal you find
3: yes you find out you know how kitchens operate when you ask them for something and usually like because i mean when you say hey i have a dairy allergy you know that usually they're like oh shoot they're like okay well you can they'll tell me right then like what this is out. This is out. This is out. That I'm like, wow. Oh, come on! You can't. <laughs> you see how much. Yeah. Crap is in everything.
4: Yeah, one one of the guys I travel with regularly, and he's been a, a guest on the show a couple of times, is uh, Adam Adam Wilton from the Provincial Resource mm. Center for the mm, Visually yeah. Impaired. He's he's full on vegan, and you know, he finds something every place we go to, but his selections are just miserable. It's like you know he'll get one, maybe two things on the menu that he can eat if they modify yes. it, perhaps uh, it's uh, uh yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of bleak. You'd, you'd think that restaurants would have pivoted into this a little bit more than they have, you know, like have more self-assembly kind of,
0: kind of options.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's
1: man. Well, we used to have yeah. these things called buffets and then COVID hit. So,
0: yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I miss I haven't been to a buffet in ages. But
4: who's miss if that. you're on a restricted diet, who's going to pay for a buffet? Because you yeah. always have to pay a huge amount of money. And then, if, you know, if you're eating, you know, lettuce yeah. and cucumbers.
0: <laughs> not really getting your money's worth. Yeah, you better,
4: yeah. better be getting a lot.
0: Hey, Liz.
3: Uh, hey, Rob.
0: Uh, where can people find us?
3: Um, I hear they can find us on the web at atbanter.com.
0: You are correct. And they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanger.com. See, he was away one week, but he still knows all his cues.
4: And let's
0: incentivize
4: this a little bit. You heard the cowbell. Write us, write us,
0: and I'll send you a cowbell. Oh, Ooh. sweetening the pot. Wait, yeah. wait nice. so anybody who writes in this week? Well, I don't know like the, until the first... I run out,
4: until I run out of cowbells, yes.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, listen, prepare the inbox to be flooded. Okay. Absolutely. Well, this is great. This you heard it right, people? All you have to do, you get a sweet free cowbell uh is uh is email us and uh say a kind word. Oh, hang on. We should put we should put some sort of proviso on there. They have
4: to write a review. Oh. Of oh. the podcast, like a two-line review. Okay. Yeah. So write your two line review about the podcast, email it to us, give us the permission to post that someplace, and uh-huh. we'll um, and and we'll send you a cowbell. Okay. So now it's bribery. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, which we're not above. Like, no, we're absolutely. With a not. Condition. That's right. I mean, mm. we could actually, it's like, do we want to make them write a haiku? Maybe a, a review that is also a, a review haiku. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's, you really don't, you really don't want to get
1: a cowbell. You really don't want to leaning
3: towards a limerick, but me personally, but
1: you really don't want to get rid of your cowbells, do you? And make it <laughs> how about, more difficult how about each time. A review in any poetic <laughs> form.
0: <laughs> All right, exactly. Just, you just make a rhyme.
4: <laughs> Doesn't no, that's not necessarily poetic. Oh, is not it, Well, it's it just rhyming. Yeah. Okay, so poetic. So poetic. Yeah, try and make it poetic. Okay,
0: really, just write. Just people, just write in. We don't care. What do we we know? We're not not going to be able to tell. I'm a poet at heart. Okay, there you go. Steve. Steve will be the judge. (laughs) Or
4: or how how did I hear it put? Oh, I have the heart of a poet. I keep it in a jar by the door.
0: Where the hell were we? Uh, what is it? Do we do all the socials? I don't even know. Did we do the socials? I don't know. We haven't Facebook, done socials. Instagram. Did, you,
4: did you know? Yeah. Facebook, Instagram. And uh, what's that other one? Twitter. Yeah. We're there. Twitter. We're there. Yeah. Get on. on it. A.T. Banter. At A. T. Right. A. T. Banter. I think in virtually yeah. all the cases. Yeah. That's right. That's right. A.T almost yeah. close almost. Oh, there an, there's an underscore in one of
1: them okay. in twitter yeah oh, on twitter
4: at, at. underscore
0: banter. yeah that's right i remember creating that and some asshole had already created like there wasn't already already an at at banter which was weird are I we following even that guy re- to find out what he's doing <laughs> no actually we should though because you probably who knows what he's up to we could should be, really could be underbinding us to, you're going to start the, creeping on them? The I'm right now. Right in the yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyways, uh, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks to Alexa and Jake for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by
4: Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com, that's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com, or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840, or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.